Hey on the call listeners, this is Jeremy Neff, and I'm here with my colleague Pam Leist. We'll get to the episode soon, but we want to share a quick announcement first. Jeremy and I are excited to share that we will once again be speaking at the LRP National Institute, this time in Savannah, Georgia, on May 5th through the 8th. Conference is really a fantastic opportunity for school education professionals like yourselves to come together and share insights and knowledge. Jeremy and I are honored to be speaking at the National Conference for the third year in a row. My session is Can You Keep a Secret? Navigating Confidentiality under IDEA 504 and FERPA. I'll be sharing practical tips for keeping your teams compliant with these laws. After leading a session for school attorneys on lessons learned from COVID, my topic for the National Institute is successfully mapping the exit from IDEA services. I'll discuss the different ways a student ends eligibility and how to ensure that's a successful transition. These sessions promise to be insightful and practical as always, and we always offer actionable takeaways you can implement in your schools. If you want to learn more about the National Institute, you can find a link in the show notes for the newest on-the-call episode or go to lrpinstitute.com. Pam and I hope to see you there in Savannah. Until then, enjoy this episode of On the Call. Ennis Britton, how can I help you? Jeremy, do you have a second? I just got out of a really tense meeting and I need to debrief. Uh, I'm sorry you had a rough meeting. I'd, I'd be happy to help. Uh, tell me more. It was an annual review of the kids' IEP. It hasn't been our easiest family to work with, but the parents have never even hinted at working with an advocate. The parents hardly even talked in the meeting and the advocate mm-hmm. was hostile right from the start. It took an hour just to go through the profile section, and after more than two hours meeting, the parent refused to sign until she could meet privately with her advocate. Uh, I think I get the picture. Uh, I know your goal is to get the focus back on this student and not the adults in the room. Let's talk about strategies that might help you do that. Welcome to On the Call. Ennis Britton Special Education Team Podcast. I am Erin Westendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. Well, if that call sounded familiar, you're in good company. And if misery loves company, then you should love this. Welcome to a phone call with your attorneys. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, you know, uh, we get these calls that are describing to us um, some very hostile advocates, and we we know some of these advocates. We're sometimes there with you in those meetings. I I was once directed by uh, a a partner uh, to make sure I was the first one to yell uh, for a particular advocate because he's like, oh, inevitably, that's where it's headed. So, you know, make sure you get the first blow. I don't know if that's good advice. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I think caveat, not, not all advocates, and I'll put in hostile attorneys, too, for parents. Mm, not all parent attorneys and advocates are hostile. However, no one calls, no one gets on the call with the attorneys to say, oh, sunshine, puppy dogs and rainbows, right? We're calling because clearly someone has shown up that was unexpected at the meeting, right? That we, the definition of unexpected, we were unprepared for. Mm. And now things have, the relationship seems to have gone astray and we don't know why. Yeah. And, you know, there is some law that applies to situations like this. There is. And so when looking at it from the perspective of what does the black letter law look like, you know, your IEP team membership is specifically defined in IDEA, right? You have your mandatory members, your parent, your district rep, your gen ed instructor, and your intervention specialist. 
fancy, right? Broader discretionary category of whether or not you have your related service providers who are included. But then there's also that weird catch-all, which I think is how we attend meetings, Mm -hmm. right, when we're invited, is to say at the discretion of the parent or the school district, other individuals who have knowledge or special expertise, right? And that is regarding the child. And so I think where we tend to come in as attorneys is because, well, if the parent has a legal counsel or has threatened litigation, we are coming to the table because the district has a right then, and OSEP from the federal level has said that that is a perfectly perfectly acceptable way to go about this. Um, but then knowing that the parents can bring in someone who has this knowledge or special expertise kind of throws a, a kink in the chain for when we want to say, we don't want this advocate there. <laughs> we don't want them, the parents to bring this person. We really don't know that they have special expertise or knowledge. Yeah, well, so... Who decides that? Who determines that uh, somebody has that special expertise or knowledge? Well, I think based on black letter law, it's the discretion of the parent or the school district. Yeah, discretion is a pretty strong word, right? It, it is. And I don't think it's that the parent's discretion for our invitees, just as it wouldn't be our discretion for their invitees. I think what can be made readily known from a district perspective, where at least I've seen some of the pushback, maybe not from the hostile advocates, sometimes with them present, is that the advocates or the attorneys have never actually even met the student. And so the question becomes, what is your knowledge or special expertise from the parent perspective? And if it's just about IDEA, okay. But highlighting some of those pieces, especially when you get in the weeds of serving kids based on their needs, if this individual has never met the kid, I think it becomes a bit more of a challenge. You know, uh, preparing for this podcast has made me rethink a little bit Uh, I'll often try and do a little self-deprecation just to calm the parents down when I'm in a meeting. And I'll say something to the effect of, hey, look, nobody in this room knows less about your child than me. It's made me rethink that strategy. Maybe I I shouldn't jump right to that. I'll often drag the uh, parent's attorney down with me when I say it. But I mean, it's not a a bad option, especially if the parent's attorney, you're at least professionally relationed in a decent way. That sounds awkward, but whatever. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? When you have a good working relationship with them, you don't always have to agree. We're not always going to see eye to eye. But at least to have a, a good, respectable position at the table is important. I feel, though, sometimes coming to the table with these advocates and attorneys when maybe we are not involved yet Mm-hmm. that respectable relationship isn't there. It's that first dig that sometimes these these individuals come to the table with to say, great, you didn't know I was coming, I'm coming anyway, and now I'm going to go ahead and get my digs before you get your attorneys and you get lawyered up and now come to the table and we all work in a different manner. And, and a couple things to add before we switch over and talk about a specific uh, interesting case about this. One is that if the person that shows up you weren't expecting is an attorney, it's got to be a dire circumstance that you proceed with that meeting without pausing and causing, calling your attorney. Uh, I would definitely urge if an attorney shows up, and by the way, the attorney should announce themselves as such. There's somebody that's been going around not doing a great job of that. Yeah, just uh, a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if, it, if it's an attorney, pause, call your attorney, and uh, let them guide you through what the next steps might be. The other thing I wanted to highlight was that attorneys deal in words and very precise application of those words. And there, when you look at the definition of these other people that Aaron just referenced, that's in the specific section of the regulations for developing an IEP. That same definition of who are the team members is not found under the ETR regulations. It's not found under the manifestation regulations. 
when you look at those under ETR, it talks about a group of qualified professionals and the parent. What's hmm. left out of that? Somebody else, an advocate, the aunt. Uh, Are you going to have that be. conversation at the table? And... No, no, no. And, and definitely I'm highlighting this just when it comes down to I had a recent case where there was, um, let's say, a lay advocate, not an attorney, somebody who's definitely knowledgeable about education. And that person said, well, I want to sign in disagreement with the ETR. And we oh, told her know. to fly a kite. No. Um, there's no place for you to sign because you're not a part of this team. You're here to help the parent. So, yeah, important to know where to have that fight necessarily, but it's important to note that distinction in the black letter law. Same with MDR. It references relevant members of the child's IEP team as determined by the parent in the school district. Well, now that sounds like we're basically shoehorning in the IEP team definition. Yeah. So there, I think that that's that lay advocate for the parent could assert, I am technically a part of this team. So, but what about, I mean, really... I don't have a problem with the friendly advocates, the friendly attorneys, right? We're all at the tables, everybody's together. But you got the hostile ones, right? Mm. I mean, we've always the, the meetings that go awry when we've gone back to the office and gone, "What just happened to mm -hmm. my life? That was, that was crazy." Um, you know, what about in those situations? How do we best sort of guide districts through that, or at least tell them, you know, how best that they can proceed? Well, uh, anytime we look at a situation like this, I like to think, well, what has somebody else done? Let's learn from their mistakes. <laughs> so uh, there's a district, Deer Valley, and I think this is out of Pennsylvania. It's a little dated. It's 2014, but, but I just love the facts uh, that were captured in it. And uh, this is a case where a parent advocate had, uh, once upon a time, pretty recent to when this complaint came up, uh, came into the school, gave false information to get past the secretaries, and then proceeded to be inside the school for an hour and a half observing, interviewing, interrogating, intimidating members of the staff who served a child. Wait, what? Uh -huh. Went in the school for an hour and a half and no one said anything? No one said anything. Well, Ooh. false information. You know, she was really, really good. Um, so the, the school described this parent, the school witnesses described this parent advocate as disruptive and counterproductive, uh, unprofessional. Etc. Etc. So, so there was not a good relationship. And wait, there's more. This parent advocate was also the parent of a child with a disability Ooh. in the same district. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, and probably not the first time, right? So, yeah. uh, challenging circumstance. So now, flash forward to the complaint. This parent advocate is acting as an advocate. There's a different parent who has a child with a disability, wants her to be at a meeting, and the school says, no, we've actually imposed a ban on her based on this hour and a half false coming into the school building. She got a stay-away letter? She got a little stay-away letter. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, so, no, you can't have your advocate here, but, hey, good news. We'll let her call in. And this is 2014, so nobody was Zooming into meetings yet. Um, but you can imagine today that's, that's what it would be. And uh, the parents said, no, that's not good enough. I don't feel comfortable. I want an advocate because I want somebody here by my mm. side. And uh, the school refused. They didn't budge. Now, as it turned out, um, kind of happy facts here, the ban was expiring within two weeks of the decision from the hearing officer on this due process mm. complaint. And I think that is the only reason the hearing officer didn't order the district to offer some in-person alternatives. Um, but the, the hearing officer referenced, hey, look, this expires in two weeks, so I think the problem can solve itself. And you've proposed some alternatives like phone calls that are good enough in the interim. 
Uh, however, there was a separate complaint related to reading, and there was an award of comp ed. And I just wonder if the hearing officer wasn't doing a little bit of not exactly split the baby, but just shift parts of the baby. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hey, I'll give you parent this thing. I'll avoid this tougher question about whether a school can send a stay away letter. Um, so what do we take from that? It's tricky. The hearing officer here who is trained specifically to resolve these disputes did her best to avoid addressing that very thing. And I think the school had one really terrible fact against it, which was the parent, the advocate acting in a role as a parent, had met on school grounds during the ban for, to advocate for her own child. And they just offered to do it in the district office. I, I really think that's the answer here to the question that did not get answered. Well, and I think there are a lot of ways now in the, the post-COVID right closure world we have a lot of options at our disposal. You have the Zooms, the Microsoft Teams, the Google Meets, you FaceTime for all of that matters. We can meet off-site. I know that you and I have both been a part of meetings where we said, you know what, you, we're upholding this ban. Whether you're an advocate, whether you're a parent, we're going to meet off-site. We've done library meetings and anywhere that isn't the school building. Um, we've also had security mm-hmm. outside of IEPT meetings. Those are I mean, I think worst case scenario meetings, but there are ways to become inventive that I don't think violate the law, right? I would never have a cop sit in an IEP meeting because I think that could be pretty intimidating from a parent perspective. I think OSEP and ODE would look pretty hard on that to say that that was intimidating to a parent. But I I do think you have options, which is a bonus. Yeah, well, and and this is kind of shifting gears into some practical tips. Like, Mm -hmm. so what do we do with this? Uh, I, I think always looking for ways to look reasonable. And that can be hard because sometimes in these circumstances, you've had somebody who's making your staff members literally cry yeah. in meetings. That's tough. You want to throw some blows. You want to get your pound of flesh. And uh, we got to resist that urge because bad advocates will always, and when I say bad advocates, I mean the people who are coming in there doing that. They want to make people cry. Those rare bad advocates, they're always going to look bad as long as we don't lose our cool. Yeah. And the more we can do to, to make that distinction so stark, here's all the things the school tried to do to help out. If it's an advocate who's determined to be disagreeable, they're going to disagree anyway. And now you've got this big record of ways you were trying to comply. So if this district had said, for example, uh, the Deer Valley District, if they had just said, hey, look, why don't we meet at the district office just like we did with your advocate – you know, the advocate's own child, something like that, that would have been enough, I think, to make this a really easy decision. And I suspect reduce that comp ed award for the reading dispute. Probably. And I think with some of this, at least on the practical side of it, for fundamentally, why do we care, right? I mean, aside from, yes, we care about our crying staff. We do. I don't like being a part of those meetings either when people are yelling at me, but, you know, I I guess we get paid to do that. Mm -hmm. So we have to accept it. But in those meetings, the fundamental piece is parent participation, mm-hmm. right? Yes, we have the IEP team members. Yes, they can bring who they want to bring. But the goal is always that we have to ensure parent participation. We don't have to ensure that their will goes. We have to consider what they say. We can't change placement in Ohio without consent, things of that nature. But the goal is parent participation. And so I think it, it's really important that our school team members rem- recall that that is the focus yes we have to get through that but if we can do such things like from a practical standpoint of we are focused talking to the parent don't look at the advocate it it sounds dumb and very you know i don't know 13 year old girl ish 
But don't look at the advocate. Talk to the parent. If the advocate asks you a question, you answer it to the parent. If the parent asks a question, you talk to the parent. All of it is very much geared towards the individual we have the relationship with. Absolutely. And in doing this, parent participation also means that we're doing things on time. So we can't let, while we're going to work with the parent who has an advocate invited, we, we should work with them for scheduling purposes too, which I know makes things tough, but we should do that. The law expects it, but we, not to the point where we're missing our procedural uh, deadlines. So if we've got an IEP annual review that's due by the 15th, one way or another, we're having that meeting. So make sure if we know that this is an advocate who's going to be tough to schedule with, schedule out far enough that we have time to then schedule a new meeting or find a new date, whatever it may be. Well, and I think that also part of the key in making sure that the district is telling their story with regard to these moments, prior written notices, Mm -hmm. having that detailed discussion of how, and it's not putting in opinions. We're not saying this Mr. So-and-so, he was such a blah, 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 bleep this. See, I didn't cuss, Jeremy. I know, I try my best. Um, You know, we're not putting in things like that, but we, we will say, you know, the, you could indicate the advocate yelled. That wouldn't, if it, as long as it happened, that is completely appropriate. Um, If you put quotes around the things that they're telling the school district staff and then the school district staff's response, there are ways to outline your reasonability and your level-headedness in this meeting, provided everyone knows what they're walking into. That may also mean, though, your staff have a prep meeting to understand, and even afterwards, a a post-mortem, if you will. Mm -hmm. we got to get it out of our system how much we were just yelled at because we know that educators – tend to be the loving folk, not the ones who who are used to being beat up. Yep, and we want them to tell each other in that meeting, not on social media. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't really want the educators to get in trouble on the other side of it just for needing to do their postmortem and and to build into that. So, you know, we've covered some, I think, good practical tips. Jeremy, do you have any others that you think, you know, sort of to end us out here would be cherry on top? Yeah, I I guess my final thought is anytime we put a restriction on an advocate, we're increasing the value of that advocate in the parent's perception. So we do want to be strategic about this. It's sort of like at Halloween, my philosophy is kids eat all you want on Halloween. And you know what, their stomachs tell them to stop at some point. But if I say you only get three pieces, oh, that candy is precious. And it continues to be precious moving forward. I think it's the same thing with advocates. We need to be careful. Creating scarcity or limiting their access and ability to do their job makes the parents think, thank God I've got this advocate. One final thought. The best way to deal with a challenging advocate is for the parent to never feel compelled to call the advocate to begin with. We have a couple of tools that can help with this. They're built on the concept that parents seek outside help when they're confused and scared, and most parents aren't going to admit to you when they're confused and scared. They'll act fine in the meeting, but as soon as they leave, jump on the internet looking for support and information. Send us an email at podcast at ennisbritton.com. Again, that is podcast at ennisbritton.com, and we'll share a couple of documents with you. One is an idea alphabet soup vocabulary guide that you can laminate and keep on the table in meetings. It's meant basically to help parents understand the terms that are commonplace to the school team members but might be unfamiliar to the parents. The other is a form that helps parents organize their thoughts leading up to a meeting. Sharing this form with parents before meeting is a great way for you to help them feel comfortable in their role on the team and to ensure that they're able to share with you what their concerns are and don't feel like they need to bring someone else in to do that for them. We want to make parents comfortable. 
and making sure they understand what's being discussed and making sure they share what they want is going to be a big piece to that. And we know that comfortable parents are going to be much more likely to work directly with you and your school team members. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. Whether by phone or this podcast, we look forward to being on the call with you again soon.